0: Uh, Mike and Dave, could you come up, please? It's our elder and our deacon. Uh, Today's the first of many finally normal Sundays. No more guest speakers for a bit. Uh, We're welcoming Sean, our our pastor. Um, It took uh, almost a year, right, to a day, a couple of days. So... um, We'd like to to pray for Sean and the family. Sean, could you come up? Let's pray. Uh, Please stand and pray with us. Father, again, we thank you for uh, the way you've brought us uh, through these past seasons, uh, through Pastor Jeff and, and Pastor Tim, and through this season of transition. Father, we thank you for uh, the team that you brought together to, to search and to uh, research who we are and who uh, our neighborhood is, and who you're uh, gonna be calling to this, to this uh, church, to this shepherd leadership. Father, we thank you for, for the way that you brought us Sean. We thank you that you uh, brought him to us in surprisingly quick fashion. Uh, Father, we thank you for the way that you um, connected our hearts together with him and and gave us a a new perspective that we knew that we needed, that we were longing for, uh, a perspective that you had all along but for some reason we missed. Father, we ask that you would um, bless us through Sean as he leads us, as he follows you, Father, we pray for his shepherding and his uh, pastoral care and for his um, uh, teaching and, and theological depth and for uh, the way he leads um, together with Lydia um, and the kids to, to sh- give us an example of, of servanthood. Father, we pray that you would um, bless us as a congregation, that we would... Um, Follow Sean as he follows you and, and learn to to share the gospel with our neighbors, our friends our families, our enemies, strangers um, Father, help us to be a uh, a living testimony of, of who you are in our lives and who you are to the world around us. Father again we thank you for Sean we thank you for the way that you brought him to us we thank you for the all the miraculous ways um, surprising, unpredictable ways that you brought him to us and the way that you continue to uh, use him to bless this body. Father, we ask that you would help us to bless him and his family as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: I think you can cut this one because the wind's blowing on it. (laughs) Well, there's so much we could say, uh, but I just wanted to start by saying thank you. The outpouring of uh, love that you've shown us in helping us unpack, cleaning our house before we even got here, Uh, Dave and Barbara, helping to find the house along with Maria, our realtor, um, Barbara's cousin, if you need a realtor, by the way. She did a great job. <laughs> a little plug for Maria there. Uh, and then last night, um, Lydia called me. She said, "I'm at the I'm at the door. I need help carrying some things in." And and Barbara's car was absolutely loaded. Um, and they brought everything in, and all of us kind of went out in the living room and looked through. And Rebecca found some things she was really excited about. See, they love to be talked about. <laughs> Actually, if you could see her face, you yeah. We could put up on the screen. She's in pain. <laughs> but um, seriously, heartfelt thank you for all that you guys have done to make us welcome. Uh, and we are so honored to be here. So excited to be here. Ready to be here. Ready to get going. Um, seriously, there's a lot we could do and a lot we could say. Uh, and and I hope to get to meet each of you again uh, and memorize your names, uh, have quite a few, Learned some more this morning, uh, but as we have opportunity, give us some grace as we learn names, there's quite a few names here to, to remember, so, well, I'm Sean, by the way, so that one should be easy. I don't know about you, uh, <laughs> kind of like when we came in February, I think I wrote, I think I told you that Sunday, I wrote like three or four different messages, kind of, Thinking, okay, this is what we're gonna do that Sunday, and then it was like, no, gonna this is what we're gonna do, and the Lord kept kind of refining and refining, and and actually this message is one of those. So go back to something that the Lord said, hey, this is what you need, but not yet. So I kind of wrote it, and um, I keep joking with Barbara. I told her it was gonna be, it was originally one long message, and then I I think I told her it was gonna be two, and then later. Last week, I told it was three, and at the end of the week, I said, I think it's going to be four. So pardon me, Barbara. Um, try to keep it short enough that it doesn't take forever, but I want to get started, uh, and, and, uh, and we'll keep moving forward. All right? So for about the next four weeks, we're going to be on this topic of thinking and looking at what it means to live backwards, and I think what we're going to discover is that our culture lives backwards, and we're probably looking at some things backwards. So each of these messages is going to kind of have the same outline. There's a wrong question that we in our culture ask, and then there's a right question that we should be asking from the perspective of the Bible. And so I think as we look through some of these assumptions, I think the Bible's going to challenge us. God's Word's going to redirect us. And I hope that by the end of this, uh, in four weeks, we'll be looking forwards, uh, and we'll be thinking forwards, and we'll be living forwards. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and He gave them this great gift. It was called free will. Arguably the greatest gift ever. Hey, and get out your notebooks and write this down, right? Okay. I know they said a lot of you bring notebooks. You can write it on the outline, but grab a notebook. Uh, If you don't have one this week, bring that and start taking notes. And, uh, and this is a great place to start. We're going to be reading some scripture. It's going to be on the screen, but I'm just going to encourage you to get out a Bible, uh, get out uh, an iPad, get out your phone, look at it. And I'm going to challenge you from week to week to take what we've talked about here and go home and reread it and think about it in your time during the week as you study and spend time with the Lord. So the Lord gave Adam and Eve this great gift, free will. Uh, he created them, he put them in the garden. We're going to read that in a moment. And he gave them this free gift uh, uh, of of free will. And what did they do with it? We we, we know how the story goes. We're going to read it in a moment. But what what did he do with it? What did Adam and Eve do? It's hard to hear over the fans. They sinned. They blew it, right? They took this gift of free will and and they trashed it. Let's take a look. We're going to read a little bit. I love to read Scripture. Um, this one's a little bit long, almost all of chapter 2 of Genesis and then uh, chapter 3. We're just going to read these together, talk about it a little bit. Let's start in Genesis 2, starting in verse 4. It says, "'This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the heavens, uh, made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, no plant of the field had sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth.'" There was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had, planned, uh, had planted a garden in the east of Eden, then he put the man there that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground that were pleasing and to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it separated into four headwaters. The first is named the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are there also. The name of the second river is the Gion, and it winds through the entire land of Cush. The third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth is the Euphrates. The Lord God took man. He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord commanded the man and said, "You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it you will surely die." The Lord God said, "It is not good for man to be alone; I will make a helper suitable for him." Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all, all the ground, out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God took and made a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man, brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, starting in verse uh, 1, chapter 3, it says, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say he must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees, In the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. And you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you were in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you not? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The servant deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and woman and between you, your her offspring, "...between your offspring. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field." By the sweat of your bough you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since it, from it you were taken. For, your, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God said, man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you open this word to us, uh, that you challenge our assumptions and our way of looking at life through your word that we might become more like you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Eve, and by acquiescence, Adam chose to misuse this freedom. They were granted this freedom. They were placed in the garden. They were given uh, basically all they could want. Everything that they saw they could have except for one thing. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? Has that ever happened to you? Mom and dad say, don't do this one thing. What do you do? Does anybody put don't walk on the grass signs up anymore? Don't. I was on my way in and I noticed in the parking lot there's a sign out there that says absolutely no ball playing. Does anybody ever still play ball there? I see some hands. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you played ball in the parking lot. Okay, see? That's human nature. You see something or you're told something and you say don't do this and what do you do? You, You want to do it. God said, here's everything for your own good, everything you could ever want. You don't even need clothes. You don't have to worry about provision of clothing. You don't have to worry about provision of food. You don't have to worry about any of these things. And so what did they do? The one thing they were told not to do. They chose to misuse the freedom of God because they were asking the wrong question. All right. So get your pens ready. Here's the wrong question. The wrong question. And I, I bet I see some of you holding your pens up. All of you have asked this wrong question at one time or another. You ready? You ready for the wrong question? What is my purpose in life? Anybody ever asked that question? Yeah. Everybody's like, ah, ugh, ugh. that's the wrong question. Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? That's the question, you know, God had, had made them. He had placed them in the garden. He had said, here's a place for you to live. You don't have to worry about anything. Take, take, your, take your joy in life from me. I made everything. I created it. I gave it to you. I placed you in it. Live in my love. Live in my provision. Doesn't that sound great? Anybody, you have to work for your provision now? Anybody have a garden? You ever tried to raise a garden? I don't know about, I don't know about here, but in Montana... All you can grow is weeds. I mean, they grow lots of other stuff. The farmers, they know they grow potatoes and all kinds of things. In the, in the spring, when the snow finally melts, guess what's under the snow? It's weeds, and they're already alive. I'm not even kidding. I mean, I'm telling the truth. Our garden, we have a little garden plot. It used to be in our backyard, and we would we'd grow vegetables, and everything would die in the fall, and then you know, we'd rototill it. And then in the spring would come, and the snow would melt, and guess what was there? weeds it would be covered in weeds and they would grow um all kinds of weeds amazing weeds and in fact didn't didn't god say that was what was going to happen right you were going to till the ground you were going to work the earth and all it was going to give you is weeds (laughs) it will produce thorns and thistles for you why did they trade in what they thought they could get or what they thought they could have from the tree when they already had everything it's human nature to ask the wrong question. They didn't need to ask the question, what was my purpose in life? Because since the initial separation of, uh, from God due to sin, the whole of the world has been asking this question. It's not new to us. Adam and Eve asked it. What should we be doing? We seek to medicate our pain. We seek to try to find some purpose. We've got We've all got pain. We've got, it could be from being raised, could be from your parents, broken relationships, addiction, whatever it is. There's, there's all these things going on in our life, race for power, uh, government, career ladders, addictions, relationships. We try so many different ways and so many different things to try to medicate away this pain that we have in this life. Without knowing it, this search meaning drives us to ask this wrong question. God had already told Adam and Eve what their purpose for living was. He'd given them this great place, name the animals, live it. Do you guys remember? He gave them some things. He said, uh, we we didn't cover those, but he he talked about stewarding it. You're going to be stewards of this place. You're going to care for it. You're going to raise everything. You're going to um, you're going to be fruitful and you're going to multiply. He, he had given them purposes. And through that, he, they would bring God, uh, God glory. Now, since the fall and the separation of Adam and Eve, the, the, the flow of the entire story of the Bible is God's story of bringing man back to himself through the appearance of Christ through the sacrifice of Christ, through the, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the whole story of the gospel uh, is, is pointed to in every book of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, points to that story. God's attempt to bring man back to himself. That's the flow of what God wants to do. We've been turning, as it, as it turns out, we've been asking the wrong question, but there's, there's another question the right question. And that question is, what does God say my purpose is in this life? That's the question we should be asking. We wake up in the morning and say, God, what, what do you say my purpose is today? What do you want me to do today? How can I live today to serve you, to glorify you? And in fact, we go about trying to discover our purpose without without talking to God about it, without seeking God about it, we come up with some crazy stuff. Have you ever come up with some crazy stuff before? It's like, I think I'm just going to try to figure out what to do for God today. And you go out and you do something crazy and, and it's like, that didn't work. You ever tried anything that didn't work for God? A lot of people have tried a lot of things for God, right? They built buildings for God. They, they have killed in the name of God, there were days and times when, when in, in the name of God, people would would go out and kill people who didn't believe in God. They would go out and kill them. Was that a crazy thing? Somebody just said, I'm going to come up with some, some stuff I'm going to do for God today. I'm going to go out and kill some people. He'd probably be happy with that. There's still some religions that do that today, right? There's still some, some factions and some people who think, that hey, that, the, the, the best way I can serve God... Their God, by the way, is to kill someone for Him. If we ask the wrong questions, we're always going to get the wrong answers. That's the living backwards part. We're living backwards because we're, li- we're looking the wrong way and we're asking the wrong questions. This life's not about you and it's not about me. I'm sorry to break that to you this morning. You knew that already, right? I mean, deep down inside, we know this life's not about me. It's not about us. It all belongs to God, and our purpose in life is simply boiled down to this. You ready for this? Anybody ever, just just take a little pause, anybody ever gone through a catechism of any kind of religious, Christian, religious background? I mean, there's a number of them. There's, there's an evangelical. In fact, I didn't even know this until a couple years ago. Baptists have a catechism. They don't all use it anymore. Catholics have a catechism. A lot of different religions under Christianity have a catechism. You guys know what the first... Number one, the first thing the catechism says, they're almost all in agreement on this. Man lives to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's your purpose. You want to know what your purpose in life is? You go to God, you say, God, what's my purpose? And God says, give me glory and enjoy me forever. Now, today you might be saying, I don't know if that's something I can get behind. <laughs> that just doesn't sound, I don't know, you know, it's, you, you wanted something else probably. You wanted some other answer. Something you could, you could leave here today, you could go out and you get in your car and you could go do it. You know why? Because we're doers. We want to do stuff. I tell you what, I'm battling that this week. There's a lot to do, right? We have a lot to do. Every day, there's so much to do. Lydia and I are like, we get up early in the morning, we like, we have a list and we get like half of it done by bedtime and go to bed, it's like, there's so much to do. I know you all want to help, but some of it's just stuff we got to do ourselves, there are some things you're going to get to help with, and you guys have helped a ton already. But I mean, it's, there's some things we just got to do. So we're, we're trying to carve out some time. We need to go for a walk in the neighborhood and meet neighbors, right? So we've, we've been doing that a little bit. You all know I found a bakery down the street? Yeah. <laughs> have you read on Facebook, Lydia posted? So the bakery storefront on Belmont's closed, but they still bake inside, and they... They bag it up and send it out to some grocery stores. I don't even know where. But if you walk down the alley at 7, they will sell you and sometimes just give you bread. So I made friends with a couple of the bakers under Manuel and and and, and I go, and I see these guys. I brought them a pizza the other day, and they gave me bread. So it was a great deal. But we need to take time at 7 o'clock to go for a walk and meet our neighbors. Lydia thinks the only reason I want to walk at 7 now is because I want to get bread. That's not the only reason. That's not the only reason. But you might be thinking, I don't know if that's something I can get behind. Give God glory, what does that mean? How do I do that? We use a lot of religious words in church. You know, sanctification, justification, glory. And, and, and when it comes down to it, if I said, hey, what does it mean to give God glory? Some of you, maybe even most of us, would be like, I don't really know what that means. How do I do that? And so if our purpose is to glorify God, if our purpose is to make Him great, we need to have some teeth in that. We need to know what it means to do that. Because as humans, we often look at things from a selfish perspective. Even in, a, in an attempt to serve God, we try to do it in our own strength, in our own ideas, and in our own ways. And often God is just saying, seek me. Ask me. See what I say you should do. It's interesting. I, I've been listening to some different um, podcasts about um, all kinds of different stuff. Um, and, and, and invariably, it doesn't even matter what the topic is. I was listening to one yesterday about engaging with millennials. How do you engage with millennials? How do you engage them with the gospel? How do you get them into church? How do you train them? How do you send them out? And, and the guy said, the first thing you do is pray. I was listening to another one about a totally different topic. I don't even remember what the topic is now. It didn't hit me as much as the millennial one did. The guy said, the first thing you do is pray. And then I started to catch on. (laughs) I listened to another podcast and the guy's like, hey, whatever you do, first thing you do is you pray. And so I began to think, wow, how how often do as doers, we just charge in, right? Because we want to do something. We only have 12 hours or 14 hours or 16 hours in a day when we're not sleeping, 18, 20. It depends how much or how little sleep you get. Some of our days have been pretty short. To be honest, for the last, what, two months, we probably have had more than five or six. Maybe one or a couple times we had eight. It's been kind of slim because we've been busy packing and moving and driving and unpacking and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Well, sometimes we just need to wait. Sometimes we just need to put a pause on it, pray. Go before the Lord. We know what our purpose is. Our purpose is to bring Him glory. Our purpose is to make Him great. Who knows better how to do that than God Himself? So as a people, as individuals, as a church, we go before the Lord in prayer and we say, Lord, we want to glorify You. What's the best way to do that? And then we wait. So I don't know about you, there's a lot we can do, right? There's a lot we can do here at the church. We're trying to do some things on the building. There's a lot. There's tons of stuff we could do. We could just be busy until Jesus comes and we could miss everything because we were busy doing what we thought was the most important thing to do when God has another purpose for us. I think if you, if you think about it, you pray about it, and you go before the Lord, this is something that you can get behind. We want to answer the question, what we really want is we want the answer to the question to be about us, don't we? I mean, we would like that because we think God needs me, God needs my skills, God needs my talent, God needs my abilities, He needs me, Um, I want this to be about me, and I want God to get glory, but I also want a little glory for myself, I want a little pat on the back, I want a little fame. Look what I did. I did this thing. I did this great thing, and look what happened. So pat me on the back. I was obedient. I followed God. So we're not happy when we find out that the focus of this life is totally not you. It's totally not me. Not even not just a little bit not me or a lot not me. It's just not me and not you. Let's be honest. (laughs) If I was left to myself, I would want to make me great. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you think about it, right? Well, the kind of things we idolize, right? Sports figures, movie stars, singers, actors, some politicians. (laughs) Let's not get into politics. Let's not even go there. We want to be great. In Revelation 4, verse 11, it's going to be up here. John the Apostle wrote this. He said, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And then he answers the question, Why? For you created all things. That's it. Why is God worthy to receive all glory and all honor and all power, all focus? Everything's about Him 24 7, 365. Why? You created all things. By your will, they were created and they have their being. And guess what? On top of that, he just did it with the power of his word. He didn't take a handful of stuff and make the world out of it. He just said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. We didn't read Genesis 1. It's one of my favorite chapters. He just spoke it. He just thought it. He said, I'm going to think about light. It's like, if you thought about it when you were like, like two or three and somebody said, what's light? You'd be like, ah, that stuff coming. I don't know. How do you explain light? If you didn't know what light was, how would you ever even, how would you ever even explain that? How would you ever even think about it? But God's like, I'm going to envision this thing called light and it's going to speak and it's going to happen. Why is God worthy of all glory and honor and power and majesty in our life, in our life focus? Why? Because he made you, because he made me, because he thought of you. He thought of Dave and he said, I'm going to create Dave. Don't say anything, Barbara. He said, I'm gonna, I, I thought of Billy. I'm going to make Billy, right? I'm going to make Val. Where's Val? Oh, there you are, Val. Meg. He thought of you. So I'm going to make a Meg. We didn't know what a Meg was. He said, make a Meg. I was like, I don't know how to make a Meg. God knows how to make a Meg. He knows how to make in everybody and in everything. Why is he worthy of all glory and honor and power and majesty and, and our life, our focus, our everything? Because he created all things. They were created by him, and in him they have their being. Um, <laughs> lots of funny stories I could tell you about this aquarium, but we had this big aquarium in Montana, 100 gallons. Bought it on Craigslist. Was it Craigslist or eBay? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Went over to these people's house, let most of the water out, took it home, filled it back up, got a new filter for it because the filter that came with it was crummy. We paid almost nothing for that tank, like 100 bucks for a 100-gallon tank. And it came with fish and rocks. I mean, you couldn't buy rocks for $100 for a 100-gallon tank, right? So we bought a filter, and it was dizzying cables. And when you open the top, it had four. Because it was a 100-gallon filter. You ever seen a filter for a 100-gallon tank? They're like this big. You open it up, and it has, a ba- it has like four baskets that come out. And it's like this one has little ceramic pieces. This has carbon pieces. This basket holds carbon pouches. This basket holds, I don't know what, foam pads, Right? You've got to get all in the right order, and then you've got to plug it all in, and you've got to put it together in such a way that it doesn't actually drain the tank onto the floor, because it could very easily do that if it was misconnected, which leads to a funny story about how I broke the tank and flooded the house. That's a different story. I could not figure out how to, with the instructions, put this thing together, so I did what most of us will not do. I called. (laughs) The hotline, right? You ever get that? We got some stuff the other day. We bought it. We got it home. We took it out of the box. It was a grill. Do you ever see these signs that says, do not return to the store? Do you ever see that? It's like the store does not want to deal with this. Do not bring it back. Call this number. So I called the number. They talked me through it. And guess what? It worked. What's the point of the illustration? I didn't know how to use something, so I called the creator. I called the company that made it, the people who knew how it worked because they made it from a bunch of. You ever seen plastic before it's made into something? It's just like little beads. These big hoppers, and they fill them with the beads, and then the beads come out, and they put them in these machines, and it makes shapes, right? And then you put it together, and it's a filter. I called the people who knew how to make little marbles of plastic into a filter because I can't do that. Can you do that? I don't know how to do that. I don't have the machinery the know-how, the technique. I don't, I don't have any of it. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 20, 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this. Okay, so you want to boast about something, you like boasting, this is it. That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Let not the rich man or the wise man or the strong man boast about the things that they have or they can do, but instead boast about knowing the Lord, the Lord who exercised kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for these things I delight. But what is glory Right? That's still that question that's going on in the back of our minds. What does it mean to bring God glory? We can understand God, we can know God, and we can delight in Him, but it says that we need to give Him glory. John 15:8 and uh, eight through 10 says this: it, it just actually answers the question for us. It says, this is to my Father's glory. You want to know how to give God glory? Here's the answer. That you bear much fruit. I like it. This is to my Father's glory. You want to know how to give it to him? That you bear much fruit. Showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands... And remain in His love. Bear fruit. Does that mean we need to like grow? I know it's dumb. Grapes. We have a grapevine in the backyard. It's growing grapes. I don't need to grow grapes on myself. What kind of fruit is He talking about? He answers that question right here. He says, "Bear much fruit in love. As the Father's loved me, so have I loved. So have I loved you. Now remain in My love." In fact, Scripture says we're incapable of loving if God hasn't first loved us. So we bear fruit in love. That gives God glory. That puts Him first. In all that we do and in everything we do, our focus is always upon Him. Could you say today that that's true for you? (laughs) Or do you have divided allegiances? Most of us probably have some divided allegiances. We would like to think that we put God first. We would like to think that we give him all the glory, that, that we don't allow any of it to land on us, but we, we like it a little bit, don't we? When people say, good job. He did a good job. Somebody will walk. Oh, you probably won't now because I'm about to say this, but I'll walk out here today. We'll be done at the end. Somebody will pat me on the back and say, good, good sermon, pastor. Now, nobody will say it now that I've said it, but, but if I hadn't said it, somebody would. That's not me. That's God give that glory to God. Don't give it to me. I don't want it. (laughs) I do want it, but I don't want it. I don't need it. It's not for me. You want it, but you shouldn't have it either because it's not for you. It's for God. It's God's glory. So we ask that right question. What does God say my purpose in life is? It's to give him glory. Any glory comes your way, you deflect it. No, that's not my glory. That's God's glory. I can only do something good. Scripture says I can only do good because God's done good in me. I'm not capable of doing anything good. In fact, I'm just filthy, filthy rags. I don't have any talent, abilities, skills, or anything that God um, can't do without. To be honest, you can find it in anybody else. And it's the same for you. But together with God, according to God's purposes, can he use your skills, talents, abilities to do something great for his glory? Absolutely. Do you have skills and talents and abilities that, that, that set you apart from somebody else? Give that to God. That's for His glory. And when all of us together as a church function in such a way that we're reflecting our, what, what we would take for our glory to be His instead, and we give it to Him and we reflect it to Him, that God's made, God is made great. You know, as a parent, one of the things that I love, and you probably most parents would would agree is when my kids come up to me and say, hey, Dad, I love you. Do you like that? When your kids just, you you didn't do anything, you didn't say anything, you didn't say it first, right? They just walk up. Now, you guys don't have to do that today. It's okay. You're off the hook. Because you'd just be doing it because I said it now. So it wouldn't count. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I love you, Dad. That's good. I like that. The Father wants that from us. You know what I like even more than that? Now this one you do have to do. <laughs> is when they love me by doing something I ask him to do. The Father is the same way. He loves us. And when we listen to him and we obey him, that pleases him. It doesn't buy us anything with Him. It doesn't get us in the door. It doesn't get our foot over the line into heaven. But it pleases God to obey Him. It pleases God to reflect glory that's His to Him. But obedience is tough, isn't it? Back to the don't walk on the grass, don't play ball in the parking lot. I think it says absolutely, in fact. I think the word absolutely is up there. That means none, Daniel. Is that our sign? I'm just curious. We don't even know who the sign belongs to. Maybe a neighbor put it up. <laughs> it's like I don't want any ball. I don't want any balls going in my yard. I'm to put a sign up so the church can't play ball. We don't know. We don't know where the sign came from. Shouldn't there be a sticker on the back of the sign that says what official capacity, company, uh, government? Somebody put it up. There should be. We should go look after church. I'll be back looking at the sign. Who put this sign up? Obedience is tough. Again, it's the selfish factor. It's about me. I want what I want. You ever said that? You ever heard that saying, the heart wants what the heart wants? It's kind of an escape clause. I can do what I want because that's what I want. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. If you think about something long enough, you obsess about it long enough, guess what happens? You're going to end up doing it, right? Maybe we're not happy when we find out the purpose And focus of our life is to make God great. Because I want to do what I want to do. And the me gets in the way. We're living in a backwards culture, asking backwards questions, and we've been living backwards ourselves. We need to reframe the way we look at things and ask the right question. Just like Adam and Eve, we've taken the free will God gave us and we squander it on ourselves. You ever look back a year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, and you go, man, I could have done so much more for God. I don't know what that so much more would have been because I didn't ever ask Him. Let's get busy asking. I'm going to say go home and read these. It'd be good if you go home and read these. Go home and study it. Go home and spend some time looking at it, thinking about it. But I think for me, the overwhelming message I've been getting for the last week or so is pray about it. So maybe we just need to wait on God this week. I'm not going to give you a pass on rereading. But while you take some time to reread, take some time just to wait, just to wait on the Lord to see what He's going to say. We don't want to squander any more of the free will that God's given us in Christ on ourselves and on our own devices. Can you think about some other parables? Just throw anybody, there's some parables that I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the story of these parables in a moment, but can you think about some other parables that Jesus talks about squandering? There's one in particular, prodigal son, who said that? Give, give Karen a prize. Karen gets a gold star. I don't have any gold stars. Do we have any gold stars, Barbara? Okay, we should get some gold stars. Jesus was with the Pharisees. We don't need gold stars. That would just be your glory. We're not going to give Karen glory. That was, your, that was actually your opportunity to reflect it back to God. See, Karen was going to go out of here like, yes. Now she's like, I've got to give it to God. That's what we got to do. We've got to reflect it. So Jesus was with some tax collectors, with some Pharisees, with some sinners. And the the Pharisees were muttering about how he was hanging out with sinners and how he was spending time with them. And so he told some stories. And the first one, he said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one. It just wanders off if you can't find it. Would you not then leave the 99 and go find the one and bring it back? And when you found it, you put it on your shoulders, you carry it back, and when you get back, you tell everybody, hey, I found my lost sheep. And then you celebrate, right? And then he says, there'd be more rejoicing in heaven over the one lost sheep that had returned than over the 99 righteous. Suppose a woman had some coins, 10 coins, or some other number possibly even, you never know. But she had some coins and she lost one. You ever lost, a, you ever lost some money? I go looking for money if I lose money. I don't know, I just do. She sweeps the house. She lights a lamp. She searches until she finds it, probably on her hands and knees because she didn't have much money, so she needs to find it. She finds it. And then she celebrates because what was lost has been found. And then he tells another story about a, a man who had two sons. We all know this story, right? Well, think about it for a minute in the perspective of what we're talking about today. He has two sons. One son, the younger son, is kind of feeling his oats a little bit and he wants to get out from under the old man's thumb. So he goes to his father and he says, Give me my inheritance. Which is a pretty bold thing to ask, being the younger son. Being any son actually could have received some pretty dire punishment for even asking that question. But the father acquiesces and he gives the son his part of the inheritance. Says the son packs up, he goes off, and then he squanders it. Anybody, anybody, you're you're not very good with money? Somebody hand you a bunch of money today? Yeah, what would you do? Go shopping, you <laughs> know. You're like, wait a minute, where did it all go? You ever seen the picture of the guy with his pockets pulled out? Yeah, where'd it go? I don't know. It's gone. It's what the son did. He just went out and partied. I love one of the versions of scripture. He says he he squandered it in riotous living. Anybody ever lived riotously? I don't. Maybe you have. I don't know. Some of us have lived riotously. So he went to a distant country. He squandered it, he spent it, and it was gone. About the same time a money ran out, so did apparently the water, because <laughs> a famine set in, and he was starving. And he couldn't find anybody to give him anything, it says in Scripture. So he went and he got a job feeding pigs. He fed pigs. And he would look at the trough and he would think, man, that looks good. Nobody will even give me anything. I, I'm starving to death, but the, even the pigs here have food to eat, but I haven't got anything. You ever been there? Some of us have. And then he has an idea. So like, I'm going to go back to my father. But I know I'm not worthy of receiving what my father has as a son anymore, so I'm going to go and try to sell my dad on the idea of taking me back as a hired hand. So he sets out and it says in scripture, the father sees him coming as the father was waiting for him. He sees him coming. The old man, the, the old patriarch of the family in his robes, everybody else is out working. He owns everything. He's kind of hanging at the front porch, hoping and praying his son's going to come home. It says he grabs his robes up. Can you imagine? And just runs to his son. Can you picture? Father's running to a son. And when he meets him, the son says, Hey, dad, I, I know I've blown it. I, I know I've done terribly wrong by you. I'm a major disappointment. <laughs> Will you take me back? But not as a son, just as a hired hand. And the father literally cuts him off in the middle of a sentence and says, Whoa, hold on, my son's back. Go get a ring, put it on his finger. Go get the best robe, put it on him. Hey, go get the calf, that, that, that fatted one, the one we were feeding for the party. Go get that one, bring it back um, and slaughter it. Get a meal ready. We're going to have a party. My son who was gone has returned. I love, I'm going to read the last line. So they began to celebrate. <laughs> Those are pictures of what the Father does when, when we return to Him. And so I want to close by asking you a question this morning. Have you been living backwards? Have you been asking the wrong question? Have you taken the free will that God's given you, much like Adam and Eve squandered it, and much like the prodigal son squandered it, and you've gone and you've spent it on yourself? Doing your thing, doing whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, and you didn't worry about it, and if any glory came, you just basked, ah, it's great, it's mine. Have you done that? Have you squandered it? Are you living backwards in respect to loving God? Have you been more focused on loving yourself than loving your Father? Have you been using the free will God gave you for yourself? Here's a wise saying. I don't know where I heard it. But it says if you feel far away from God, He's not the one who's moved. You ever felt far away from God? It's not because God moved a seat over. <laughs> if you feel far from God, e- even a little bit far, or maybe a lot far, it's not God who moved. That's a hard one to hear, isn't it? If you feel far from God, He's not the one for, who moved. Just as the Father waited for the Son, our Father in heaven waits for us. And He longs to draw us close. He longs to reconnect with us. Some of us, maybe that's the first time. You're thinking, I, I've never even been close to God. I don't even know what it means to follow God. Maybe you need to take that step today and say, Heavenly Father... Um, because of what your son has done for me, I want to be yours. I need to have that relationship, that close relationship that can be found only in a relationship with Christ. If that's where you are today, you can just go to the Father right now in your heart and your mind. Just say, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want your son, Jesus Christ, to save me. And you know what it says? If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. it has got a call. It's a free gift. He wants to give it to you, a free gift of salvation, much like the free gift of, of free will. He wants to give this one to you. And he sent his son to die for you, and to, to be buried, and to raise again in order that you might have that gift. But he's not going to force it down your throat. So you say, Father in heaven, I want to know you. Please save me. Save me from my sin. Place me in a new path. Place your Holy Spirit. It says in Scripture that when Jesus Christ saves us, he places the Holy Spirit on our heart like a seal, like a mark. He's mine. Now, when the Father looks at you, He just doesn't, he doesn't see a person who's, who's broken and sinful and separated, a person who, whose sin deserves wrath. We have a joke in our house. It's kind of, kind of a joke. Somebody will say, oh, why did you, why'd you talk to me that way? I don't deserve that. And we're like, yeah, you're right. You deserve death and hell. I know it's kind of like a joke. <laughs> but it's true, right? And then we all laugh. I know, we sound terrible, don't we? That's actually a Rebecca joke. But it's true. The sin in our life deserves the wrath of God. But because God looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ and the mark of the Holy Spirit on us, He now sees His child. John chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters, probably talk about it over and over again, says that when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior not by the decision of a husband's will or any of these other reasons, but born of God, it says we become children of God, the right to become heirs with Him. Heirs with God. Heirs with Christ of a new life and a new beginning and a new direction. Now maybe you've, you've been there and you have had that moment, that time where you came to faith in Christ, but maybe you're at a point now where you're kind of like the prodigal son. You've kind of slipped away. You've kind of moved away. You've kind of you've moved a couple seats over, and you're like, I don't feel as close to God as I used to anymore. Like I said, God hasn't moved. He's calling you back now. He's calling each of us every time we 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 talk to Him, every time we pray, every time we we ask. Lord, what's going on? What do you want me to do? He says, I want you to come close to me. Be close to me. We can do that through reading scripture. We can do that through prayer. We can do that through serving with other Christians. We can do that gathering on Sundays. We can do that gathering in small groups. We can do it by ourselves on our back porch, just talking with God and waiting on Him. Or maybe today's the day the Lord's saying to you, it's time to, time to get close again. I don't I think the answer is probably maybe. I think the answer is definitely. He's saying close, pull in close, move in close to me, talk to me, let's commune, let's communicate. The Father in heaven waits for us. It's time for each of us to come back. Wherever you're at, you may think I'm close. Well, he wants you to be closer. To pursue Him with all that you are and with all that you have. Not a part-time, not a Sunday morning. Used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't know. Now it's just Sunday mornings and maybe a small group sometime. He's not talking about just a couple hours a week. talking about wholehearted, 24-hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year, radical devotion to Christ. It's what He wants from each of us. He wants us to move close. We move close this week. That's a challenge I'm going to leave us with this morning. We're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to give us the strength and the boldness and the desire to do that very thing this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you, Lord, you've challenged us in your word through uh, the stories of Adam and Eve and through the story of the prodigal son and through uh, the Apostle John and the other things that we read, Lord, you've, you've said just a, a very few things to us this morning I think that we, we need to respond to you on. One of those, Lord, is you need us to wait. You want us to pray. You want us to actually talk to you, to communicate with you. So, Lord, I pray that each of us this week will take time just to be before you, to be still and know that you are God. Lord, we're looking to you for direction. What do we do uh, next? As a church, what's our next step? There's so many things we could do and so many directions we could go. Lord, we don't want to be frantic. We don't want to waste time and effort and resources. We want to do your thing. So Lord, we pray and we ask for you to show us what that is. And we're not going to act until you do. Lord, I pray also that you teach us how to reflect your glory back to you, that we give you glory through love. So as Scripture and John talked about loving, Lord, help us to love one another. Bring a sense of unity to this body. Bring a sense of unity and direction to our minds and to our hearts, Lord, I pray that as we learn to love one another, we'll be prepared to love the people who are coming, the people who are not yet here today, but they're going to be here, the people that you're calling into your kingdom from all around us in Elmwood Park, the people whose hearts are already being prepared, the people who, who are already maybe even sitting and wondering the answer to the the wrong question, what's my purpose in life? Lord, I pray that you continue to prepare us to bring the answer. Love God and give Him glory and enjoy His presence forever. Lord, I pray that you prepare us for that. Heavenly Father, as we close on this message I pray that you'll help us to reconnect with you maybe we've moved away maybe we've slipped away we've moved a couple seats down and we're not feeling so close to you right now Lord but we know that it's not you that's moved it's us so I pray Lord in this room for those who feel like they may be away from God that today you strongly call them back Lord, that they leave here with an overwhelming presence, that you are calling them back, that you are, you are pursuing them. It's almost audible. You can hear your voice, Lord, calling, come back to me. You're waiting for us just like that father waited for the son. And when you see us coming, then you move, you run towards us just like the father did And you, receive us in you, bring us close and you hold us, and you heal us, and you prepare us, and then you turn us around, and you send us out for your purposes. But not until we come close to you, and not till we have straightened things out with you, Lord, are we even usable? So I pray, Lord, today you make us usable. Bring us close to you. Call us close. Let that healing begin as we undo this cultural baggage we have of asking the wrong questions and teach us what it means to bring you glory in our own lives in the lives of our family in the life of this church in this community teach us what that means today lord for it's in the name of your son jesus christ that we have the honor of praying